Blog Talk Radio.
everyone, and welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. This is T. Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a certified sound and reconnective healing therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where we are streaming to you live as we do every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, our chat room is open, so feel free to join the discussion that's already happening online. We do keep an eye on the chat room. If you have a question, go ahead and post it. We'll do our best to get your question on air. As an alternative, for those of you who are on the go and you cannot continue to listen online, you can call us directly by dialing 347 2020 and listen via phone or please, please be sure to use your Bluetooth if you're driving a boat. Okay, so have you ever been on a walk or looked out a window and really took in what you saw or felt to the point where you found it to be both amazing and wondrous? You know, not many of us do. Most of us go for a walk as a means of bringing in physical exercise, and some of us use it as a walking meditation, but we aren't really taking notice of the miraculous details that can be found in nature that are occurring around us all the time. But Noelle Mead Izzy, known as the Pollinator Queen, endeavors to discover the extraordinary within the ordinary right in her own backyard. Her book, our topic for discussion tonight, The Hummingbird That Answered My Heart's Calling, is a testament to the power of nature and its ability to teach and heal and reconnect humans to their true human nature. Noelle is an entrepreneur, philanthropist, author, speaker, award-winning graphic designer, and renowned Natu journalist. She captures contemporary visual reality with her camera and combines wildlife anecdotes and facts to encourage every person's potential to connect with and preserve nature. And she has an immense passion for nature and wildlife photography stemming from both her research and study of the wisdom of the animal world, animal symbolism, and animal totems. And this book, which to me would make a truly wonderful gift book, is filled with more than 40 truly gorgeous full-color photographs that accompany her personal story of transformation, which really changed the trajectory of her journey in life. And Noelle's commitment to nature goes well beyond her work as a natural journalist. She is leading a crusade to recognize and protect what she refers to as the four power pollinators. So that's bees, birds, butterflies, and bats. And as the pollinator queen, she is a special advocate for the pollinators, offering advice on how to build a hummingbird-friendly backyard habitat, ways to give back to the bee nation with methods for protecting and supporting these essential creatures that really are critical to our food chain. And Noelle considers the loss of any aspect of nature as a spiritual loss as well as a natural one, and she's spreading her message by way of spiritual pollination. So, Let's welcome her now. Good evening, Noelle. Welcome to the show. I am so excited, and I thank you so very much for joining us. How are you being this evening? <laughs> thank you, T. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm being just wonderful. It's a lovely day here um, on the California coast, a little bit windy, um, but the wind is spreading pollination. <laughs> well, that's great. Yes, absolutely it is. You know, it's been yeah. a horrific winter here on the East Coast, but today it's. I'm looking at the thermostat right now, and it says it's 59 degrees. We'll take it. You know, that's really high for, for us right now. We're happy. <laughs> right, right. Now, your book is so amazing. The photographs are absolutely gorgeous, and the narrative – I mean, I'm, I'm going to admit it. I did cry, okay? I, I did. I cried at the end of the book. I, I didn't – I just cried. <laughs> you really spoke – to the meaning, the symbolism, 
behind all that you are capturing with the lens of your camera and, and everything that you are experiencing on a daily basis. You, fortunately, were able to experience something so tender and eye-opening, and I believe you were chosen to share all of that with the rest of us, and you did it in a most impactful way. And this journey, which led you to writing the book, to me, it seemed to change the trajectory of your life, and it did so. You know, when you think about it in a very easy and simple way, the the key, though, was that you were fully aware and you got it. You recognized recognize what you saw, you acknowledged it, you took it in, and then you actually learned, and now through your book, you're, so first, thank you for sharing and enlightening the world, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey? Um, Well, it was um, a few years back, and um, it was around the market crash um, of 2008, and um, at a time when I had just started my own business, uh, purchased my own home, I was newly single, and I thought that I had the world in the palm of my hands. I, I thought the timing and conditions were right for, you know, entrepreneurship and, you know, really living out a dream that I had always had. And then the market crash took place. And um, while I wasn't firsthand experiencing the effects of the market crash, for example, I didn't, um, I didn't have uh, any... Um, any uh, money market, you know, money in the bank or retirement to lose. But for example, my parents lost lost at least half, and people down the street were losing their homes, and my friends and people that I, I uh, colleagues were losing their jobs. And even though I wasn't experiencing that um, firsthand, the what ifs are what kind of gripped me. I started to almost, um, I don't know, draw to me this doom of what if this happens and what if that happens? What if I lose my home? What if I lose my client base? What if I can't take in myself? What if I have to move back in with my parents? You know, on and on and on. And the physical effects of the what ifs, um, my body started to react in a way where I, I started to experience really severe panic attacks. And the first one I had was in the middle of the night while I was asleep and I woke up and I was gasping for air. My heart was racing and beating out of my chest. I went into, like, cold sweats. And it was m- the most frightening thing I had ever felt. And so I mm. went to um, the doctor. And, um, you know, I went to the cardiologist. I mean, I was like, what is this? Well, it turns out that it wasn't anything, you know, wrong with my heart or, or anything like that, but that I was experiencing anxiety and panic attacks. And so... Um, you know, the doctor was very supportive and he did offer, you know, prescription drugs that there were anti-anxiety drugs that I could take, but I wasn't really ready for that. I wasn't prepared to to do that. And so what I wanted to do was find the internal healing that I knew I could and figure out why I allowed this to happen, why I allowed myself to become so imbalanced and ungrounded that I couldn't handle even the slightest of adversity, you know? And so I prayed. Mm -hmm. I went outside and I would go for walks and I would pray. And I prayed for any kind of healing. Interesting enough, um, I wasn't attached to a specific outcome of what that answer to my prayer would look like. I was, it was almost such a desperation. I prayed for just, you know, please help me heal, please God, please moon, please stars, please trees, please birds, anything. Just, you know, help Mm -hmm. me through this so I can understand it. 
and then work through it and avoid it in the future? And the answer to that prayer was this little hummingbird. (laughs) Which is amazing because when you think about it, you learn so much about being human, how we're meant to be human, if you will, through your observation Mm -hmm. of nature, of this hummingbird. And, you know, we really have so much to learn from nature if we just stop and observe. But I think sometimes we think we're so very smart. And that's where our problems oh, yeah. begin. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we live from our ego and thinking we know better, but animals really live from their hearts and they really work with the greater good to keep it greater and good. And you got that across in your book. It's not a long book at all, but you got across that, yeah, look at how these animals all work together. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the hummingbird named Artemis? <laughs> well, um, one day I went out to my balcony, you know, probably a couple weeks after, you know, some very um, deep prayer and, and, you know, that kind of sort of thing. Um, I went out to my balcony one afternoon, and I had a little glider out there that I would sit out and just kind of take in and breathe and I noticed a little nest on the branch hanging over um, my railing and you know at first I I, because if as you notice in the book at first because it was surrounded by pine cones I thought it was just a very 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 tiny pine cone you know like a baby pine Mm -hmm. cone and Mm -hmm. um but as I went in just a little bit closer, I noticed that it was a nest. And it was in still in the process of being built. But all in all, when the nest was complete, it was the size of like a walnut shell cut in half, as I described in the book. So we're talking mm-hmm. tiny, tiny nest. And at the moment, when I first noticed the nest, the, the hummingbird wasn't in it. But about an hour later, she showed up. And she was still in the process of building the nest. So she had all of these spider webs, like, all around her beak. And she was placing the spider webs within the the nest to secure it, I would imagine. And um, she finally settled in for a few moments before she took off, you know, back and forth throughout the day. And we just kind of caught each other's eye. And she had the most beautiful, because you see how close up the pictures were. I mean, I did use a zoom lens, but the interesting thing is, is the camera I used was just a sure shot camera. It wasn't, you know, a a really um, intricate Nikon or Canon, which I have now, but she was so close that I didn't need anything like that. And we just looked at each other and she had these beautiful black, like marble eyes. And she just... You know, we caught each other's gaze, and I introduced myself. And from that point on, I swear I was in love. I mean, this little creature was just darling and powerful and independent and focused. I mean, as I watched over three months, the dedication and focus of this bird was amazing. It's, It's definitely something we can all learn from. And she's the smallest bird known to man hummingbirds are and the powerful message behind this bird was life-changing for me you know i can't believe it was a sure shot camera these pictures are phenomenal (laughs) i mean that's just crazy i I had no idea yeah they're phenomenal i mean it's just you captured everything it is absolutely a beautiful beautiful book now i i would be remiss if i didn't let listeners know that the hummingbird that answered my heart's calling placed second on the spirited woman's top 12 book pick list so that's really impressive congratulations to you for that that's wonderful thank you yeah that was you are um, quite welcome yeah beautiful surprise and um Mm -hmm. yeah well it's interesting 
Yeah, well, thank you. I um, I didn't, you know, it's funny because because I was going through panic and anxiety attacks, um, you know, there was still a part of me that was in the process of um, healing. So when I took the pictures and when I when I was journaling, because the actual story comes from all of my journal entries, so it isn't something where I meant to take these pictures and write a book or I meant to write you know, pages and pages of months uh, into a journal to turn it and transform it into a book. This was just my very personal healing journey that I was going to keep for myself because it was so um, personal in my life. It was such a scary time in my life. But she was this beautiful distraction that, you know, and this is one of the greatest gifts of this experience is she actually, this experience healed me completely from my panic and anxiety attacks. As time went on, as the days turned into weeks and the weeks turned into months, I would realize being so distracted by this and caring so much about the world around me, becoming so aware of the goodness in my own backyard, I would realize, wait a minute, I haven't had a panic attack in X amount of days or I haven't felt that strange surge coming on. I've been so calm. I've been so peaceful. I've slept through the night. I mean, before I knew it, the panic and anxiety was gone and I was dumbfounded. I was overwhelmed with complete gratitude and just like, is this, could this be true? And for me, it was true. And I believe for anybody else out there that's willing to open themselves up to the majesty of the world around them on purpose with a with mm-hmm. a total authentic heart because mother earth knows the in the in, authenticity of the human heart she knows when we genuinely want to commune with her you know it's not false um this can happen for anybody and I believe that that little bird was put there specifically for you for this very reason, because you have so much more than this, this, this little bird to talk about. And one thing I want to ask about the bird, well, first of all, every culture has symbolism for animals, as I'm sure you're well aware. There's a reason for those totems and symbolisms and beliefs, and, and they're all part of war, if you will. The, the ancient cultures seemed to learn from nature, and they respected it. They absolutely respected all forms of life, and they understood that we're all connected, and we all are equally important so we can continue to exist. So that kind of got lost through, you know, greed and selfishness, and, and it's really quite sad, but that's right. the way human nature is dealing with it now. But people are trying to get back there. You, having knowledge of the totems, the animal symbolisms, what is the symbolism of a hummingbird? It's, I mean, it seems pretty obvious, but it's joy. Um, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, if hummingbird shows up and really makes itself apparent to you, you know, you can ask yourself, well, am I, am I seeking joy in my life? Am I seeking the sweetness in life? Because hummingbirds survive solely on nectar from flowers. So they survive mm-hmm. on the sweetest thing in life and they take it from the most beautiful things in life. They're playful, they're resilient, they're fiercely independent. So these are all the symbols of hummingbird. And when it makes itself so known to you like this, this one did in my life, I had to ask myself, was I seeking 
the sweetness in life or was I focusing on the bitterness in life? Was I finding joy in the small things that, or was I allowing nature just to be the backdrop of this busy life that I don't have time for? Was I seeking beauty or was I seeking the ugliness in life? And that's what was happening at that time and really happens in, the, in this duality that we live in on, on the earth plane. There's beauty and there's ugliness. And I don't mean physical. I mean of the heart, of, of the condition of the, the human and the life here on, on, on earth. Um, was I being independent or was I relying too much on everything else around me for my joy? You know, I wasn't, definitely wasn't resilient because that was the, the biggest, hardest lesson for me when that all happened is I wasn't able to bounce back or work through all of this fear. I mean, this, this gripping fear that I created around myself and my life, and it was all about me. You know, us humans, we're so self-absorbed, and yet you look out and there's so much more out there that I'm part of that isn't self-absorbed. Nature is naturally incredibly balanced in their giving and receiving and, and funny Absolutely. and interesting. Um, yeah. Nature never, <laughs> yeah, and na- nature never takes more than it needs. It's always just what it needs to sustain and always gives back something. And the fact that you're talking about the hummingbird and, uh, you know, you gaining so much from it, you also learned the resilience from the hummingbird. I mean, let's face it, the wind that was blowing and that little nest wasn't going anywhere and you had those winds, those high winds, you know, they know how to build. These are great architects and construction workers. (laughs) They know what they're doing. It's like watching a a spider web. It's the same thing. It can be there for days on end in the the wickedest wind and rain and it goes nowhere. So that's kind of interesting Mm -hmm. because you got it. You allowed yourself to be aware and this bird came into your life at a time when you needed the bird and the bird... I think probably had fun with you because when you went away and came back, that little bird missed you. (laughs) Well, I think she noticed that's for sure. And I'll tell you that experience coming back from Paris and having her do something she had never done before because we had already established at least several, several weeks of a relationship. She never flew to my bedroom screen in the morning and, you know, um, I don't know, called to me or never. Never, never, never. That was the first time ever, and she never did it since. It was, it was as if, you know, like I said in the book, she knew I was gone. She knew how mm-hmm. much I was going to – I dreaded missing when her baby would hatch. And, of course, I missed it, but she brought me aware. And, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, that morning when I took those pictures and saw what she was trying to show me, I talk about crying. Oh, my God, I was crying in my coffee. (laughs) She wanted to show off her baby, you know, as every new mom does. Like, look what I did. Look what I did. Look what I have, and I get to take care of. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's fabulous. Now, (laughs) it is. It's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. And you talk about, uh, other than the hummingbird, another part of what you do, you are the uh, pollinator queen, you talk about the four power pollinators. So that's bees, bats, birds, and butterflies. And the bats mm-hmm. and the bees, to me, get a bad rap. People don't mind butterflies and people don't mind birds, but put up a bat house or a place to, uh, you know, a, a, or place a, a bee scap in your garden, and oh my goodness, that's a different story. The whole neighborhood goes nuts. What are you doing? I don't yes. think people 
are aware of what it is that they need to do. They don't realize that, you know, these pollinators are responsible for about 40% of what we consume. Food, Mm -hmm. that means food, Mm -hmm. which means we get to live, you know, because of what they do for our survival. And I I don't think people get that you need, you know, to, to embrace these animals and not do things to destroy them. You know, you want to talk about those pollinators a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you know, after this experience with Artemis, I started to really, um, I don't know, something just, I I, I started to hyper-focus on the the pollinating aspect of her because she'd always come back to the nest with, um, with this bright yellow beak. And I knew that every time she went to a flower, she was receiving nectar and pollinating other forms of plant life, you know, flowers, plants, trees, whatever. And I thought, gosh, this, the role, I mean, this is the smallest bird known to man. And the role of this tiny creature is, is huge. I mean, it's massive. And then I started to think about the role of the other pollinators and how much they give their benevolence. And um, I discovered, you know, colony collapse disorder, which is um, happening to our honeybees. And it was um, discovered in 2006 in the UK is when they started doing a lot of research on what they called um, the disappearing of the bees. And what happens is the bees, the, the females, you know, all of our worker bees are female, which in and of itself is such a beautiful thing in this world where um, we're so ruled by the masculine energy, the control mm-hmm. over everything, that the, the fact that this creature that produces something that allows us to thrive and survive they're, the workers are all female. That beautiful female energy is what we see out in our garden and out, you know, outside in the natural world all the time. And what happens is they'll leave the hive to go forage, and they simply don't go back. They die. Meanwhile, they leave the queen, and they leave the larva, and they leave the drones, the females, in the hive to die because those bees can't survive without the worker bees that come back after foraging all day and bringing back the nectar and the pollen. So I started studying colony collapse disorder and what the theories are and so on and so forth and who is making changes. There are some states in this country that are um, banning certain pesticides, and then the UN has, you know, banned the, the neonicotinoids, the pesticides that they have proven are killing the bees. And so there's been theories all over about cell phone towers that are affecting the navigation of the bee and um, funguses and um, parasites and so on and so forth. They, the people have, scientists have studied the hives that have died and they, the traces of these pesticides back at the hive are enormous. So we know for sure that there are certain pesticides being used out in mass agriculture. And also, unfortunately, we who just um, cultivate our own backyards or, you know, your neighborhood gardener, when they go out and they're spraying in the, the garden, the pesticides, they're using commercial pesticides that have this same poison in them that you can go and get at any big box store right now. I mean, I was at, I went and did a little 
you know, just local research to see because it's spring and I wanted to mm-hmm. see, okay, who who's carrying this stuff right now? And they're all over. It's the Bayer products. So anything by Bayer, like the Bayer aspirin, B-A-Y-E-R, anything mm-hmm. on the shelf that's, that is manufactured by Bayer, they all have the poison, the neonicotinoids that are affecting the bees. And then Roundup. Roundup is something that has been for commercial use for decades. The unfortunate thing about Roundup is it destroys the milkweed, which is what feeds the monarch butterflies. And sadly enough, in 2013, the migration of the monarch butterflies to Mexico was the lowest in 20 years. So the habitats wow. of the monarchs are being destroyed. The habitats of the bees are being destroyed. And don't forget, the same flowers that the bees pull nectar from are the same flowers that hummingbirds pull nectar from that also repollinate. And their habitats are being destroyed all by these um, pesticides. So we have to be powerful in our purchasing. We have to be informed and know what is for the greater good and what is detrimental. And we have to care. We just have to care. And be very much aware, you know, of what it is that's going on so that we can take care. We are speaking with Noelle Mead Izzy, author of The Hummingbird That Answered My Heart's Calling. You can learn more about Noelle and all of the wonderful work she's doing by going to her website, www.benevolent.com. So it's B-E-E dash N-E-V-O-L-E-N-T dot com. So check that out. Write it down and check it out after the show. There is so much great information on that site. It really is amazing. You know, Noelle, I have belonged to a number of garden clubs, and with every one of them, we made birdhouses, houses, attended lectures to learn about how the good garden pests help us and how we can eradicate issues that come up naturally. I'm going to go with mosquitoes because I think everybody thinks a mosquito is a pest, and I agree. Everyone wants to get rid of them. And bats are great for that. They can eat between 500 and 1,000 mosquitoes an hour. That's a whole boatload of mosquitoes. (laughs) And, you know, it is the organic way to get rid of them, you know, to maintain a healthy and balanced ecosystem. That's an an organic way to do it where we can live with our animal and insect friends and, and everybody gets to play nice in the sandbox and, you know, but especially when it comes to bats, because some people yeah. don't want those around. They just think they're ugly and they're going to bite them. They're going to turn into a vampire. I don't know what the story is. So they take the easy route and they do reach for the chemicals, which, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, it goes through the food chain, destroys everything in its path, contaminates our food supply, our water supply. It's destroying mankind. It's destroying the animals. And that's just one example. And I know that my property, okay, for instance, is a wildlife habitat, and I'm always looking for new ways to maintain the balance. And I just recently saw or heard about, somebody said, you should get one of those beehive starter kits. And I said, what do you mean? That's for people who are going to raise bees. And they said, no, it actually, you're actually making a beehive. Do you know anything about that? Is it true that there's a, to actually make the beehive? Oh, absolutely. And I'm like, I don't well, so. You don't make oh, it. Oh, there is. You don't make it. They, well, you can... All you would have to do is go Google um, beehive starter kits, and the kit is already created. It has a queen in it, um, and it comes bees. With a bee? Yeah, this is amazing how this is done. You know, when I visit a lot of beekeepers, and one of the most fascinating, and let me tell you something about these bees. Oh, my God. They are the most integrated, harmonious, 
cooperative creatures, I think, that live on this planet. Interesting, they're so small. And like you said, you know, a lot of times they're misunderstood. But I tell you, they, the work that they produce and the way that they work with such efficiency, humans could really learn from this. But um, oh, yeah. they, the, the queens do come with, with the bees. And what happens is the way they come in the starter kits, they, the, bee, the queen is slowly introduced. Now, in, in large beekeeping societies, they introduce the queen because they'll bring, be, bring queen bees into um, the, the hive when they're doing mass pollination. Now, normally, I don't know if you know this, but queen bees are made by the worker bees. Their queen bees aren't born. What happens is, is the huge community of worker bees in the hive decide what larva they're going to um, cultivate. And then they feed that little larva, that one larva, um, they feed it the royal jelly. And by the way, you can buy royal jelly. We can actually eat royal jelly. It has the highest amount of enzymes in it that create a, a queen bee that is 50% larger and lives 50% to 100 like times longer than the regular worker bees. The worker bees average around six weeks in high season. The queen bee can live up to two to three years. And this is because oh those God. other bees make her. They, they manufacture her with this, this um, royal jelly, and she grows and grows. And then talk about the queen of the hive. She is the queen, the leader of that hive. And, and what's so beautiful is they decide, hey, she's the queen, and we're going to follow her, her lead. We're going to follow her rules. We we made the decision to make her, and so what she says goes. And so the, the cooperation in the integration of this hive, of all the worker bees that built her, if you will, is, is just mm-hmm. it's miraculous. And so in the, in the beekeepers that have to do mass pollination, they'll bring in bees, and they'll introduce the queen bee to the hive. So what they do is they separate them with um, marshmallow. And what happens is the huge amount of honey or worker bees in the hive slowly eat through the marshmallow. But while they're doing that, the queen bee is on the other side and they can, they start to like smell her scent and start to get used to her scent so that they can accept her. And so when you're talking about mass agriculture and mass pollination of huge, like, almond, you know, tree groves, this is how they have to do it because it has to be a, a, a quick process. And it's amazing. So the same kind of concept when you order a starter beehive kit for your yard, it, it, it's a good idea to go to, like, a class or take an online um, quick study of what mm-hmm. this process is so you're aware of it. But that's pretty much how it is on a smaller scale. They have the queen bee that is separated from the hive. And it's once you get the kit, it's, they, you do the same kind of introduction so that the hive um, is able to accept the queen. And then it all kind of works together. And you just leave it somewhere in your yard and you let them do what they do. And the greatest thing is you don't have to bother them. They won't bother you. You can plant wonderful flowers that attract these um, bees 
organic flowers that don't have these pesticides or seeds and have like a little bit of drip system, some kind of water system so, because they definitely need water, especially in the high heat months. And you just, mm-hmm. you feel like you're part of something wonderful, something that you're giving back to the bee nation who so benevolently gives to us. That's fascinating. I did not know that about the yeah. hives. That is absolutely fascinating. I have yeah. I have a lot of nepeta. I plant a lot of nepeta, and it's beautiful. And, and we have a tremendous amount of bees, and they are mm-hmm. huge. I mean, these bees are huge bees. <laughs> they're just, uh, they're so big. And, you know, it's funny because I'll be out there, and I'll be weeding, and I'm pulling weeds and everything, and, you know, and they don't bother me. I don't bother them, and I, I got stung. And somebody said, oh, you got stung by a bee. Did you kill it? And I said, no, it was my fault. I was wearing flip-flops. It flew under. I stepped down. I got stung. I don't know if it died or not, but I wasn't going to seek it out. You know, it was my fault. I know I'm in their territory. So I try to be careful of that. You know, walk gingerly and not leave a mark, you know. Um, It's just fascinating, though. Now, when, when you do this, you put it anywhere in your yard and you just let them do? Or should you? Yeah. I guess. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you want to keep it like, you know, far away from your home, you know, your actual house, you can certainly do that. There are some people that are beekeepers that, you know, they don't mind having it a closer proximity. But, yeah, you can set it in the corner of your yard. Um, Just to go back to what you said when the person said, did you kill that bee, the bee dies immediately when it stings. See, that's the thing that what I'd like people to remember is – I like thought that's what about, happened. I didn't want to think yeah. about it. <laughs> well, I mean, but but that but it's so that's the thing to remember is when these beautiful creatures are being misrepresented or um, misjudged. We have to remember they nature takes fear. Like a lot of people say, well, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I mean, I swatted the bee away and it stung me. Any sign of fear, nature takes mm-hmm. as a sign of aggression. They don't know. They only feel energy. They feel the, the vibration around them that says, look, that's why dogs are so intuitive. That's why horses are so intuitive because they mm-hmm. sense fear and they take that as a sign of aggression. So a bee, just remember that bee is willing to give up its life to protect itself because it's fearful, because it senses mm-hmm. aggression. So anytime someone says, you know, that bee stung you, did you kill it? No? Well, yeah, the sting, the act of stinging someone killed it. So they're, mm-hmm. they don't mean any harm. It's, it, just, it just happens to be that, you know, someone will get stung because in some way that bee feels it has to protect itself. And that's all they do. I mean, they're in the hive. There are different jobs of several different types, you know, bees within the hive. And those bees know that they use their stinger. And funny, the queen doesn't have a stinger and the drones don't have a stinger. So the only ones to protect that hive are the female worker bees within that hive. Everybody else relies solely on these these worker bees to protect them, to feed them, to build the hive, to maintain the hive, to keep the hive cool, to keep, to keep the hive warm, everything. They, they have such a, a profound responsibility and they live up to it. It's, it is fascinating. I mean, I know I knew it was my fault. I did not see the bee. I was walking, and the flip-flop 
you know, I stepped down yeah. on the flip-flop as it was flying by. It was a pure accident, but I knew, you know, I, yeah. I felt bad. I was like, oh, we, you know, bees are going out and it's not a good thing. I think probably we as a human race need to start teaching our children in a way that they really understand just exactly how the food chain works and how important all the animals and all the pollinators are and not scare them with, oh, the bee is going to sting you or the bat's not good or, you know, we tend to do that. Otherwise, if we don't start teaching them at a young age, you know, this is important to our existence. We're going to annihilate ourselves just just because we uh, of what we're trying to do and not pay attention to the nature that's around us. It's very, very sad. And having said right. that, a, li- a little bird told me <laughs> that you're working <laughs> on children's books. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. The, the children's books actually center around a bee and her great adventures in learning from the natural world around her. You know, what's interesting, and you mentioned it, and it's so important, you know, Hollywood, the entertainment industry, is, it, it's it's sad almost that everything has to be glamorized, or um, when I say sexy, I don't mean in a sexual way. I mean, right. just it has to just be this over-the-top thing like, vampires and and a bat that turns into a vampire that that then sucks your blood and then you fall in love and you don't know if you should love the the wolf or the vet you know what i mean it's like yeah yeah well it vilifies it and it glamorizes and the thing is 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 our it's what's sad is are we teaching our children that nature just in and of itself and how it operates on this planet isn't exciting enough isn't glamorous enough, isn't important because it's not overdone on the big screen with all of this action. And, you know, can't it just be that the fact that your food, can it be just that that backyard birthday party, swim party that Johnny has when he's eight years old and invites 15 of his closest friends and his mother has prepared the most beautiful fruit spread of watermelon and strawberries and blueberries and all of these lovely things that when those kids are hungry and they're out of the pool and they're all just hanging out and they're just, you know, feasting on these beautiful succulent fruits and vegetables, can it be enough that they go, wow, this is great. I, if if mm-hmm. my bees didn't, if the bees on this planet, the birds, the bats, you know, the bats, okay, and so what about tequila? What about the people that love their margarita? Do you know if we don't have bats, if humans still keep in their mind that bats are a threat and they go in and they torch bat roosts? by the thousands, do you know that we won't have agave nectar? It'll be completely eradicated. Agave is solely pollinated by the bats. And so people are using that for their sweetener so they don't have to use table sugar. They're using Mm -hmm. it for pancake syrup. Children love pancakes. They're using it, it, it's fermented to make tequila and wonderful margaritas. I know I happen to love a good margarita once in a while. (laughs) Yeah, so, (laughs) you know, these are the things that... You know, the, the nutritionists in the, in the world and in the country say, if you want to eat healthier, when you go into a grocery store, whatever you do, do not shop in the center aisles. If you want yeah. the healthiest food and diet, you need to shop on the perimeter of the store. Well, you want to know something? That perimeter without the bees, the bats, the birds, and the butterflies would be non-existent. Can you imagine what yeah, that grocery store would look like? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So teach our children well. Teach them. Yeah. Show them. You because know, they, I, they love that stuff. They do. And, you know, everything right now, and you, and you spoke to it for a second, you know, uh, is it not enough for them? No, it's not, because right now they do have all these games and everything, and they're using their little magic phones. I mean, I don't have a magic phone. And children that are five or six-year-old, you know, they have a magic phone and does all kinds of stuff. There should be an app for this. God knows there's a billion apps out there. There should be one that teaches them how to be nice to the bees and the bats and the butterflies and the birds, because it does make a difference. People don't get it. They don't see the connection. We are all connected, every single one of us on this planet, not just as humans, but as any living, breathing organism. There's a reason you're here. There's a reason they're here. It's part of the circle of life. And the more that we destroy it, the less there's going to be of life of many, many, many different kinds. Uh, I think, you know, is there something, some piece of advice, something that someone can put into practice like immediately, right now, something simple that will help to pre- preserve the, the, the wonderfulness of nature for, you know, for Gaia and for future generations of the human race? Well, piece of advice, um, like tangible, like going and shopping? Like, do put something into practice. What can we put into practice right now? Something little that, like, this will make a difference. Is there anything that people can do? Yeah, well, you know, what's happened, this is part of what I call the spiritual pollination or um, the coalition of the willing because just like the beehive, every single bee, when you see it out foraging, it has its own little job to do. So independently, it's extremely powerful. But then it takes everything it's foraged for back to the hive and creates a honeycomb that is massive and for the greater good of the entire brood, okay? So what we have to realize is that the burden consumption that we humans, especially in this country, put on nature, the natural world, and any kind of um, food industry, okay? So I'm not, I'm not here to judge on meat eaters or whatever. All I'm saying is, is when we put the burden of being overly consuming. You know, what I remember I said at the beginning, I realized that this hummingbird, she only took what she needed to survive and to satiate yeah. herself and her baby and nothing more. Yeah. You know, and so I think one of the things of this coalition of the willing is think about your consumption because When we overindulge or we are gluttonous, we put that burden on the natural world around us. All of the the pollinators, all of the the farms that are, you know, creating whatever it is we put on our plate, they have to be creating more and more and more and more to satiate us. But we don't need all of that food. We We will survive on half of what we eat and the waste. I mean, you know, one of the things I do when I go to a restaurant, when I go have breakfast and they want to serve me, you know, this gigantic heap of potatoes and all of, you know, and 16 pieces of bacon or something like that. I Uh always tell at the restaurants, this is one thing people can do. If you know where you're going to eat, A, 
that you that what they serve, the, the quantity of food they serve is more than you're going to eat. Be willing to just say, can you cut my order in half? I'll pay for the entire order. I'm not mm-hmm. asking you yep. to cut the price in half, but I don't want to waste. Can you please ask the chef to do that? And that's the first thing. The second thing is, is each time you sit down to a meal, ask yourself, will I be satiated or will I be full? You don't need to be full. We just need to be satiated. And then you get your, that's, you know, you get a, a great benefit from that because then you stay thinner and you stay more fit and you stay healthier. And then, you know, the colon cancer is reduced and all of that sort of stuff. So that's another thing. Then another thing is when you go by, you know, because summer and, and spring and summer are coming and, and people want to start cultivating their gardens, please, please buy organic. Go to a local nursery or a local farmer's market and purchase your seeds and purchase your plants and your bulbs there. Ask them. Have a dialogue with the people that work at your local nursery. Ask them if they know about colony collapse disorder. Ask them if they have any alternative seeds or plants that don't have these systemic pesticides. And, and they will. All it, is, all it takes is the power of your purchase to, to speak out and say, this is my concern, I care. So I want to make the right choices for, you know, the natural world in my backyard. And, and then most importantly, please do not purchase the pesticides that you see at Home Depot and Lowe's and those kind of, you know, Walmart. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say those. Names, you are. We but, say anything okay. we want. <laughs> okay. You know, so don't purchase the Roundup. You know, let's get back. This is another spiritual pollination. Let's get back to our roots of going in and cultivating our garden with our hands because the convenience that you talked about earlier, the convenience mm-hmm. has a price. Everything that is overly convenient has a price to pay. And so when you... You don't want to get out there and get your hands full of the soil and the rich dirt because you don't feel like bending over and pulling the weeds. Then you use Mm. a pesticide, and guess what suffers? So let's go back to the Coalition of the Willing to get our hands in the soil, feel the earth. You know, like you said, we might not have this in generations to come. We may very well destroy and deeply miss this soil, feeling that the earth under our feet, feeling the, the feeling of cool grass between our toes, because nobody cares. We need to get mm-hmm. children and people caring again. So those are the things. I hope I answered your question. I think those are Absolutely. That... No, okay. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think there are so many things people can do. And, you know, just starting with don't buy the pesticides, figure out another way, get bark mulch, you know, put bark mulch down. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if you want, put cornmeal down on top of the bark mulch and it creates a barrier where the weeds won't grow through and there's nothing wrong with cornmeal. You know, it's a food. So, you know, yes. see, I also plant things. I love it. I have, I have a hedge and I plant, I leave things under the hedge for the rabbits to mm-hmm. eat. Then they don't eat uh-huh. any of my stuff. 
And you go out and you also, people think this is crazy, but I'll talk to the animals and say, okay, you guys, the front yard's for show, the backyard's for you. What are you doing here? Because I have a herd of 30 deer, and so I can't have a garden. It will be gone. It will just be gone. Right. It's like a buffet to them. So I just frequent my farmer's markets where they take care of the stuff. I buy organic. I love this time of year because it's starting to come out, and I feel like I haven't eaten food in like four or five months because of the winter. This is going to be great. Yeah. I can't wait to go. You know? Oh, so that was very yeah. Thank you so much. Now, the hummingbird that answered my heart's calling, it, again, it placed second on the Spirited Woman's Top 12 book pick list. And people, you know, Easter, Mother's Day, Father's Day, they're all right around the corner. We're starting the warm season. This would be a perfect choice to give someone that you care about. And it gives them the gift of beauty and the magic of nature. So go ahead and get this book, The Hummingbird That Answered My Heart's Calling Today. Noelle, we're almost at the top of the hour. Do you have any other wor- any? Anything else that you'd like to add to this before we have to sign off? I just want to add that I love your passion and what you said about you feel like you're going to be eating again and you love this time of year. I think that's absolutely wonderful. And I just felt like, oh, like I I got the chills when you said that because it's really so sweet. And everybody should feel that way. Just a a deep gratitude for the beautiful foods coming out. Yes, and I think a lot of people are starting to. I really see a shift, so that's, that's wonderful. I really think that that's happening, and we just very much appreciate your being on the air. I have learned an awful lot, and I'm quite sure the listeners have as well. And you know, listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. You know, we live in a very challenging and changing world, and that's why I have the guests I have to keep you apprised so that you will not get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily, live the life we're meant to live, share, be productive, healthy, and purposeful. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So send the link to the show that you just listened to to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you had had tonight to learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. And on behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I would like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in this evening. My name is T-Love, and I hope you'll be back next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archived list of past shows, the lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting throughout the year, including the Quartz Crystal Singing Bowl concerts. Check that out. They're going to be there. And if you can't get to one in the area, check out my CD, Imagine, from the site as well. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T-Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well.
Keep it. 